your the game from your peanut. I'm fine. Be yelling at me, girl. Don't be yelling at me. All right, let's uh, let's pray and we'll get started. God, thank you for tonight and for the chances to be here and just to uh, dig into your word uh, together. We pray for this time as we uh, continue our, our series on on Jesus' uh, death and resurrection and uh, the, the early spread of Christianity. God, we pray you um, teach us something new tonight, that when we walk away uh, and we leave here, we're challenged by your word and what you're trying to teach us and show us uh, so that we can become more like you, God. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. There you go. So, uh, this is week five of our series called Break Trail. Next, Like I said, next week is the last week before we uh, do the Family Fest and then do the different things we're going to do for, um, for the summer break, the different stuff. We don't, we, I think we'll only meet one Wednesday during the summer. That's June 1st. We'll have Whataburger Wednesday. And then other different things throughout the summer to do. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, so make sure you guys pay attention to the calendar. We have them. On the bathrooms, that door you guys walked in. There may be a typo, just ignore it because I made it and it's fine. So this is a whole, this series about people who, who blazed a trail and who went before people and kind of got, got this new path uh, ready for people. Can anybody tell me what that symbol is that it's pointing to? What is that? Verify. What does that mean? They're verified. What does it mean to be verified? They're what? They are the person that it says. They are the person. They are who they say they are, or who they're claiming to be, right? Whether the account belongs to a celebrity or business or whatever, that, that check mark is useful because it helps us know this person or this organization, this business, this brand is really who they say they are, not some fake knockoff thing. For some people, it's kind of a big deal if they ever make it to this status of being verified, but whatever. But, you know, because there's so many fake accounts out there that need these, these uh, blue check marks, you know, to be sure that we can trust the posts that we're seeing are actually coming from our favorite singers or athletes or whomever. That's why we need this, this blue check mark here. Well, we all know that there are famous, you know, celebrity singers and actors, athletes, and, and more. But did you guys know, like I said, we're talking about break break trail and blazing trails, that there are actually celebrity hikers. Does anybody know of celebrity hikers? Anybody know a hiker's name? Bear Grylls. Huh? Bear Grylls. Bear Grylls? Yeah, like bear? I don't know if I'd call him a hiker. Has... No, that'd be my best closest thing, too. Here's one right here. Her name is Emma Rowena Gatewood. I, well, I, I wouldn't think so. These people like uh, they they like hike the Appalachian Trail or Oregon, all these different things like that, just to hike. So this is this is also known as Grandma Gatewood. Uh, she was the first woman to solo hike the entire Appalachian Trail in one season, um, and that's that's like two thousand something miles. It's a lot of hiking to do. Uh, she completed the feat in 1955 at the age of 67. 
67, you hear me? That's, that's not very young. 67, she did it. Gatewood was inspired by a 1950s National Geographic article about the Appalachian Trail, which painted a rosy picture, just a wonderful experience of hiking the entire thing. It's like, this sounds fun, let's do it. So she told her adult children that she was going for a walk and left. That's what she did. Like, I'm going to go out for a walk and then proceeded to walk the 2,700 and whatever miles the Appalachian Trail is. She did go for a walk, a long walk. And she left. She started with nothing um, but a simple pair of Keds sneakers, uh, carrying nothing but a blanket, a raincoat, and a plastic sheet inside of this homemade canvas denim bag. That's, that's what she took with her on this hike. That is crazy. Like she just woke up like, I'm going to hike this trail. I guess nobody else is as impressed as I am, okay? This is kind of a big deal. News of her journey spread um, pretty fast, which is pretty incredible considering there was no internet, social media, and things. She was featured by the Associated Press and Sports Illustrated. She hiked the, um, the uh, Appalachian Trail a total of three times and also covered the 2,000-mile Oregon Trail before she passed at age 85 in 1973. A lot of hiking. So I was, I've read... I read articles about 16 different hikers in preparation for this lesson of different people who this is what they do for a living. Some of those people, it's just stupid how fast. Like there's this one guy, I forgot where he, which, which trail he hiked, but it, whatever it was, he did an average of 33 miles a day. That's more than a marathon. And he did that every day until he finished it. That's, that's stupid. People are dumb. But there have been... Some pretty trailblazing hikers throughout history at some point in each of their journeys. All they probably had to decide who and what they could trust. Could they trust their guide? Could they trust their equipment? Could they trust their training? If they had training, could they trust themselves to make it all the way through? So let me ask you this. On a scale of 1 to 5, with 1 being absolutely not, and 5 being 100% this is me, how trustworthy are you? One being absolutely not, five being, yeah, I'm trustworthy. So let me see your hands. Huh? Where would be, I'm not Probably three, I guess. The one in the middle. So let me see your hands, raise them up. Cutter, you are not a six. All right. How easily, how easy, how easily do you trust other people? It's hard for you to trust people? <clears throat> or do you trust people pretty easily? <clears throat> what are you, a Boy Scout now? Yeah. Um, Alright. So, one of five. How do you trust the food at fast food restaurants? We're going to say McDonald's. What about, I'm going to consider, what about Whataburger? What about Whataburger? Maddox is like a 10. Maddox like, let me borrow some of your fingers. Yeah. Just a joke. Sweet. Leah. So Tori's been going to school for uh, social work. And she just got a job at Stitch. Like full circle. That's so cool. Alright, sorry. Y'all remember Tori? She was at youth camp. and So we went, when I'm at my last church, we went to a place called South Texas Children's Home. 
and uh, we got to, to minister to those kids. And so she actually just she just got a job with that organization that we ministered to eight years ago. That's pretty neat. It's a full circle thing. I like that. It's exciting for. All right. Um, <clears throat> how how strong is your trust in ladders? We'll say we'll say A frame. We'll say an A frame ladder for now. A frame that makes an A shape. Just you climbing up on an A-frame. I did a, I had to climb a ladder in the church to change the light bulb in the worship center. It was an A-frame, but then it had, the A-frame was probably 20 feet, 15 to 20 feet, and then on top of that was another 10 or 15 foot long straight pole. So you climb up to the A-frame and then climb up on this. And I'm up there changing lights and it's, I mean, it was, I'm like, you can send a guy who has no health insurance up here. That's stupid. Um, how, how trustworthy are you of bridges when you drive over a bridge? I would say a five because I've never gotten to a bridge and slowed down. I'd be like, I'm not sure I trust this bridge. I don't know when the ones here in town were built. 1974. I don't know. How strong is your trust in these chairs? I should put a five because ain't none of y'all check the chairs when he sat down. Mason, you can lie all you want. We're in church. I'm going to tell Jesus, but he can see you. How much do you trust that politicians tell the truth? <laughs> Sorry. That wasn't what I originally wrote, but I thought it would be more fun of a question to ask and to see reactions. How trustworthy are your friends? How trustworthy are your friends? Want to be your friends are not very trustworthy. Five. Wow. I might need to. Might need to do a lesson on friendship. I feel like. I feel like I did. Maybe some of y'all need to listen. Yeah. Yeah, we did. All right. So it's like we have some people who trust people easily, and some people who don't trust quite as easily. Um. I get it. it's hard to trust other people sometimes, especially when maybe somebody broke your trust in the past, or a lot of people have broken your trust over and over and over and over again, or uh, when somebody has taken the time to earn your trust, right? So for these reasons and more, it can be difficult to trust other people. And because we sometimes assume that God is a lot like other people that we know, it can be difficult sometimes for us to trust God because we put our human perceptions of of what a person should be onto God, and that's not how we should do it. I know people who find it hard to love God because we say God is our Father, and for them, their picture of a their earthly father is just crappy. I don't want to say that that's not nice, but whatever. They say that their dad is horrible, and so it's hard for them to love God as a father because all they know as a father is nothing good, right? So if they have <coughs> trust issues with people, they're going to put that same kind of trust issues on God. For the last few weeks, we've been on a journey towards Easter. Even though Easter's already come and, and passed, uh, our journey isn't over yet because Jesus' journey didn't end with his resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead, it's only the beginning of a brand new path. Two weeks ago, the last time we met, remember last week we had the concert, we saw Jesus' closest friends and followers first heard the news of Jesus' miraculous resurrection from the dead. But here's the thing. Although they were told... Jesus was back. They hadn't actually seen proof that Jesus was back. An empty tomb, after all, could mean a lot of things. It could mean somebody took the body, right? 
So you can imagine <clears throat> why Jesus' disciples might have had some trust issues with Jesus, right? After three years of following this guy around and listening to his teachings, their hero was killed in a public execution. Everything they had worked towards and been doing for the last three years seemed to have suddenly just disappeared when he died. I'm sure they wanted to believe that Jesus was back. But it makes sense they still found it difficult to trust that he was back. I'm sure we can relate to that. If we were there, we'd probably kind of think the same thing. Turn over to John chapter 20. We'll be there in just a minute. John 20. Back in college, when I was at uh, Wayland Baptist, uh, I went to college with some buddies of mine from high school. There were three of us, or I guess four of us total, from Greenwood that went to, uh, to Wayland to all study uh, youth ministry together. It's one of my best friends. His name was Nathan. You've heard me talk about him a few times in here. Nathan and I were in a class over, uh, the, minor, over, over the prophets, the minor prophets, and so we had to do a, a presentation together over the book of Daniel. So he had part of the book, and I had part of the book. I didn't live on campus. I wasn't a typical college student. I was married already at the time and had a full-time job at a church. And so I would drive 90 miles to school one semester, five days a week. It was the worst. And so I did my work in my office, on my computer. I did all the kind of stuff. He was there where he played video games and ping pong. We may have skipped a lot of classes to play ping pong. Mom, I'm sorry. We skipped a lot of classes to play ping pong when I was in college. Like we did. I did. That's why I beat everybody in here. Um, and so anyways, and so they, you know, I didn't, I wasn't quite sure. Like I said, my friend Nathan wasn't exactly like the best student. It wasn't the worst, but it didn't take school seriously. Even back in high school, he didn't. And so I, I, I wasn't entirely sure that he was going to hold up to his end of the bargain and do his work on this uh, presentation over the book of Daniel. And so we come to the day we're supposed to present. We get to class, and I have, uh, I think, the 7th through 11th, so I like the last half of the book. So he goes first. He just crushes it, with, and it makes my part looked really bad. Like he did a whole lot better job than I did. And I had trust issues that he was not going to be able to do his part, yet I'm the one who didn't quite do as good as, as he did. And so, you know, even even with that, you know, it, it, I had the trust issues with my friend who I've known for years, but he still, he came through there in the end. And for Jesus' friends and followers, losing him, it, it was terrible, right? He'd been their spiritual leader they're trailblazer, but then, then he was gone. That's, you know, who, who's going to lead these guys? Now, who's going to be in charge of our little group of friends here? Now that Jesus was gone, was everything that he had said about God untrustworthy? Well, what, what, are, what are we going to do now? How are we going to make it? What, what are we supposed to do? They were disappointed. They were grieving. They were terrified. After all, these people who just killed Jesus there's a good chance that they wanted to kill these people too because they were associated with Jesus. Let's see what happened next. You're in John chapter 20, 19. I'm not putting all the words up here because you guys have Bibles in your hands so you guys can read them there on your papers or in the, whatever. You got it? John 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, so here they were scared that something was going to happen, so they had the doors locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Did you guys just catch what happened? Anybody? What happened right here? 
This is where you answer the question I just asked that much. The door was locked. Jesus showed up. Would anybody else be freaked out? I don't know. Maybe it disappeared. I don't know what happened, but it'd be freaky. All of a sudden, he's not there. The door's locked. All of a sudden, he's there. It's, I don't know. And then he says, peace be with you, probably because they were, in fact, freaking out a little bit. Verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So here's Thomas, ten people, remember, he makes, Thomas makes eleven, Judas, who has now died, makes 12. So 10 people told him, hey, we have seen Jesus. And he's still like, I don't believe none of y'all. I need to see it to believe it. Verse 26. Eight days later, okay? So they had seen Jesus. Then eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them again. I don't know. It's really cool, though. And said, peace be with you. Again, probably because they were pooping their pants. Because Jesus, all of a sudden, was there. That's just so crazy. And then in verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Disgusting. And see my hands and put it out your hand and place it in my side. Disgusting. Do not. He had the wounds. He's like, hey, touch them. That's gross. He said, put your hand here in my gaping side. That's Gross. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Now this part is for you and I. Blessed are those who have not seen and have and yet have believed. That's you and I, because none of us have have you ever seen Jesus? Not white Jesus we see in paintings, but like really Jesus? No, we have not seen Jesus. That verse is for us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. Verse 31 is the purpose of why John wrote his book. Just in case you wanted to know why he wrote down what he wrote down. So here all the disciples were having a hard time with Jesus' death because... It's death. We have hard times with that. And his rumored resurrection. But Thomas, he seemed to be struggling more than the other people. Thomas wasn't with the rest of the disciples when Jesus showed up. So he missed this big moment of Jesus just popping up, which, again, weird. When everybody began to tell Thomas what happened, he still didn't believe a single person who said, hey, we saw Jesus. Maybe Thomas thought his friends were just messing with him and like, yeah, we saw him which is a weird thing to mess with somebody about. Maybe Thomas thought somebody else was pretending to be Jesus and messing with all of them. Maybe playing a little dress-up or something. I don't know. Maybe Thomas thought they were delusional and their grief was causing them to believe 
and impossible things, which could happen, maybe not so much in the group, but maybe individually. So when Thomas finally got his moment with Jesus, he was curious, but he was hesitant. He probably didn't want to get his hopes up, right, because the guy died. That, that people don't typically rise from the dead. It's not a common occurrence. He didn't want to get his hopes up. Thomas had invested so much of his life and so much hope into following Jesus. Imagine how much more it would hurt to be convinced that a miracle had happened, only to ultimately find out that it was a lie. So Thomas asked Jesus if he could touch the wounds that Jesus received on the cross. Not because Thomas was weird and liked gory things, but because Thomas needed that confirmation that he wasn't imagining these things. Thomas had to see Jesus' wounds to verify that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Thomas needed to be absolutely certain there was nothing fake about the man talking to him. The nails in Jesus' hands, sides, and ankles were likely to be seven to nine inches long. The picture on the little part on the left is a legitimate nail they found in the Roman Empire dating back to the time of Jesus. I'm not saying this is the one he was crucified with, but this is a, a nail going through the back part, as you can tell, the back part of the ankle. That's, that's what the bone is in the nail you see. The bone is not, I mean, the nail is not a short nail, right? It's, it would not leave a little tiny mark like a splinter would, correct? They're nails, they're huge. They're probably like seven to nine inches iron, so they can hold up somebody. Pretty sturdy, pretty strong, pretty gruesome stuff. So, that, so if Jesus had in fact been crucified, he had in fact been resurrected, would you imagine three days later, that there would be a hole where the, the nail was, right? Because it's not going to clear up that fast. You can't just say, oh, it's just a flesh wound. It's not just a flesh wound. It's so much bigger than that. It was Crucifixion was brutal. It was extremely violent. It was a very inhumane act. But unfortunately, it was also a form of execution that these guys were all too familiar with because they saw it all the time. Because nobody can survive crucifixion. Nobody was meant to survive a crucifixion. Nobody's wounds would be gone in just a few days if they were crucified. And those wounds from a crucifixion would definitely be incredibly obvious that there is a hole in your hand. Right? So Thomas needed to see the wounds of Jesus before he could believe the truth. Before this moment, it's likely that Thomas, he, maybe he felt betrayed this was a leader who Thomas thought would bring hope and peace and change to this entire world. But in a moment, that dream died when Jesus died, right? What if Jesus had been a fraud this entire time? So maybe, maybe Thomas felt betrayed. Maybe, maybe Thomas felt lost. If Jesus was gone, what was Thomas supposed to do next? He had built his whole life around this man and his message. Now what? Maybe he felt foolish. Maybe he felt like he bet his life on the wrong leader. Like, man, I went with the wrong person. This was not the Messiah. It's not who he claimed to be. Maybe I, I picked the wrong guy. Maybe he thought back to all the miracles he's performed and thought maybe he's just some sort of magician 
could do some elaborate illusions or tricks. Maybe he was devastated. Jesus was not just Thomas's leader, he was his friend. I mean, imagine living. I mean, this is what they did. They lived together for, for three years together. I mean, they, they had been pretty tight. They had been pretty close. They had been like family. And maybe it's just maybe over way too soon. And Thomas trusted Jesus when he was alive. Thomas wondered if his trust had been misplaced after Jesus had died. And Thomas maybe, maybe trusted him more deeply than ever after his resurrection. When everything Thomas had hoped about Jesus was shown to be true, Thomas realized without question that Jesus can be trusted. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3. Did you break my new pen? Proverbs 3, where we're going to be. There's another character from the Bible who might be able to help us understand trust. There's a guy named Solomon who lived centuries before Jesus was even born. He's in the line and the family of Jesus. Solomon was David's son. From David we get Jesus, right? So Solomon was a king of Israel who achieved great wealth and, and success and was widely known for being incredibly wise. I don't know much about being a king or being wealthy. I'm a youth pastor. But I think we can relate to Solomon when it comes to how Solomon saw God. Solomon never saw Jesus with his own eyes, right? Correct? We know this. Solomon never saw Jesus with his own eyes. Never got the chance to touch the wounds in Jesus' hands when he rose from the dead. Solomon didn't even know that God would be sending someone named Jesus to change the world forever, right? We don't know. We, this, we know this is truth. But even though there was a lot Solomon couldn't see for himself, he saw the importance of trusting God. That's why he wrote some poetry, which we know today as the book of Proverbs. To help us understand that trusting God is the most crucial element for us to find wisdom. So Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. This passage says to trust God, trust in God with all of our hearts, not just part of it, but all of our hearts. Even if we don't understand what's going on or why something terrible has happened, or if Jesus is who he says he is, we can still trust God. When our trust in God is shaky, Jesus won't get angry with us. Just like he didn't get angry with Thomas, right? Because Jesus was there and he'd be like, Thomas, you're an idiot, and then like throat chopped him, but he didn't, right? He was not angry with Thomas. Instead, he'll offer us a scarred hand and divide us just to keep trusting in him. If we do keep choose to keep trusting, we'll one day see that what Thomas saw, that Jesus has always been trustworthy because Jesus can be trusted. Back in February, my wife's car started messing up. It just, I don't know, it just started shaking. It's crazy. Took it to Bubba here, you know, Bubba at our church. Took it to him, who's a former mechanic, knows all kinds of things. He said, I looked at it, did some research, and he's like, I think it's going to be a lifter problem. Okay, cool. Like, you take, take apart half the engine to even get to the lifters. That's, that's fantastic. That sounds like great news. I had somebody else come look at it at, at the house. Like, yeah, I think it's probably a lifter. Sweet. So I took it to a mechanic here in town, have him fix it. Uh, a few days later, they called me back and said, all right, so um, it actually needs an entirely new engine. It's going to cost you $10,000. 
Glorious. I love it. Keep telling me this good news. About this time, when this happened, um, the uh, you know, as we know, we live in Midland, so we have like the highest quality of water on the planet. And so our hot water nozzle just was so corroded, it came right off and just spewed hot water out everywhere. So we had to turn off the water to the house. That's our only shower. There is no nozzle to turn just the, water, the, the shower off, so we had no water in the house. Just beautiful times in our house. So all these things were just piling up. So the guy's like, hey, so the, but there's a recall on your car. I'm like, that's fantastic. I can get this new motor for free. So I'm like, he's like, take it to Hyundai. It's, it's a Hyundai. Took it over to Hyundai. They had it there for about a week. And I'm like, hey, I'm like, hey uh, how's it going? It's like, well, it's, it's going to be about a, a year and a half before we can actually get to it. We're that far behind. It's awesome. It keeps getting better. And so I'm like, well, can I trade it in? Can I get, you know, can I trade it in for a car that you have? And then whenever it's done, you just sell that one. Well, yeah, like 60% of the cars that we have, you know, that we need to work on are trade-ins for people. Sweet, let's do it. So we're looking at it again. They called me back and said, all right, so it's not covered under warranty. It's going to cost you $10,000. Man, this just keeps getting better. It's like a roller coaster. It's just wonderful. Like, that sounds great. And so, you know, that would have put us upside down. You know what it means to be upside down in the car? Like you don't flip over. Like we owe a certain amount of money. They would have given us a certain amount of money, and which would have, been, would have been less than what we'd owed on the car, and which is not always a great thing to do. And so, you know, this whole time we've been praying. Um, before we got, before this part happened, um, we got our, our, Shower stuff fixed, so God was gracious, and so we could take showers in our home again. We took showers in my mom's place at the church for a couple weeks. Zach and I peed outside because we're men. Um, that's just what we do. Um, right, Zach? That's what we do. Um, and so, just crazy. And so, um, so, we, so what actually happened last Tuesday, we went up to Hyundai. We, were gonna, we found a car my wife liked. Let's do it. That's when they called at lunch. We had lunch with my mom, and they said, hey, it's not, it's not under warranty. We can't do this anymore. Okay. So we drove back to Midland, and, um, and they were like, so, but no, I guess it was Wednesday, wasn't it? I don't know. It was last week. When, last, I guess it was last Wednesday. And then, um, and then so we're here. They called me back and said, all right, so here's the deal. I talked to my boss, and he said that he would, he would give you the value of your car if you had a working engine. Like whatever the, the cost of your car would be, whatever it's worth, with it fully functioning, that's what we're going to give you today. Which was, that's not how you do business. You know, that's, we, should, we should never have been offered that much money for her car that wasn't working. God said, here, you've been worried and, and stressed over this. I'm just going to, you just trusted me. And so... We had extra money that we were able to put down on a new car. My wife's driving a brand new 2022 SUV that had like 23 miles on it. It's just crazy. This whole time I've been praying and worrying and stressing, which shouldn't matter because I've been praying. I guess maybe not hard enough or whatever, but God said, here, I'm, just trust me. I didn't know how that was going to look. I didn't know how this was going to work out. And this has been months that I did not sleep very well because I didn't know how I was going to pay for a new motor, or to get her car fixed. And God said, here, I got this. It's crazy what he does. 
you know, I may not be able to see or hear or touch Jesus like his friends, followers would say, but I still knew that Jesus could be trusted even when I didn't know what was going to happen. How? Because I knew I could trust him because of the evidence of his presence in my life. I could trust him because of the evidence of God's faithfulness to us in the Bible. And I could trust him because of the stories of other people who have found God to be trustworthy. Because my story is just one of many stories that people in this room could probably tell you of God being faithful. When it comes to knowing God, Jesus blazed the new trail for us by proving he could be trusted. Well, how do we grow our trust in him? Real quick, we're almost done. Number one, be honest about your questions. Thomas didn't hide his hesitations. The questions from Jesus. He didn't be like, man, if I ask this question, Jesus is going to hate me. He didn't fake his trust. You hear me? Jesus, the Thomas did not fake his trust. Your trust for Jesus. Don't come here putting on a face because you think you need to put on a face that you trust Jesus because you're at church or because your parents, the pastor on staff or whatever. No. Don't fake your trust in Jesus. He asked Jesus to give him the evidence needed in order to trust him better. And Jesus did. You can be honest with God about your doubts. Remember what God has already done. If you're struggling to trust, reflect on how God has proven untrustworthy. Sorry, my bad. Proven trustworthy. That's not true. Proven trustworthy in the past. Just look at your life, the lives of people you know and trust, and lives of people whose stories are told in Scripture. God has been trustworthy in the past and will continue to be trustworthy because Hebrews tells us he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he was trustworthy back then, he will continue to be trustworthy today. And then just practice trusting. If you're struggling to trust God right now, start where you are. Even if you can't say, God, I trust you, maybe you can say, God, I'm trying to trust you. Or please, God, help me just to trust you a little bit more. Because we all find ourselves like Thomas sometimes. Look at me. Everybody's eyes on me. We all find ourselves like Thomas sometimes, and that is okay. You hear me? That is okay. Sometimes people go to church or they think, man, I can't ever have doubts. I can't ever have these questions. No, it's okay. This should be a place where you feel safe and comfortable to be able to ask and express those questions. Because Jesus can really, if, you know, we all have moments where we wonder if Jesus can really be verified as trustworthy. But the more we look and the more questions we ask, I believe that the more we will see that Jesus, in fact, can be trusted. He has proven trustworthy before, and I'm believing he will do it again. Let's pray. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you that we can, in fact, trust you, that you are good. We know that you've been trustworthy in the past and you will continue to be trustworthy in the future. Let's pray for this next few minutes. Um, God, may they just continue to see the importance of, of trusting in you. In my prayer. Amen.